Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the You Can Do It Too podcast by Mamba Inspire. I am Mamadou Balde. I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to both showcase black excellence and increase awareness of the multitude of career possibilities out there for up-and-coming black professionals. This podcast will assist in breaking stigmas, barriers, and helping black students believe that they are smart enough to be future doctors, engineers, educators, and entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest, special guests <laughs> with us today. Uh, this is the introduction of our You Can Do It To podcast. Again, thank you so much for giving us your time. We'll start by you guys introducing yourself. Yes, sir. Me. You. Um, my name is Tyson Smider. I am a fourth year mechanical engineering student. Mm-hmm. Um, I have he, him, his pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> we like pronouns. Uh, my name is Corinne Cassell. I am a fourth year chemical engineering student, and I have she, her, hers pronouns. Awesome. I'm Khalid Osman. I'm a second year PhD student in civil engineering, and I have he, him, his pronouns. I'm Sean Ibatoye. I'm a fourth year economics major, and I have she, her, hers pronouns. So the, this is the You Can Do It Too podcast, and in the future we will have different professionals to uh, come in here to interview and sharing their story. But for the introduction podcast, we decided to go with students to really talk about the issues that we have faced so far and that we are facing toward our journey to become professionals in these fields. So guys, Growing up, how, how did you guys grow up? Like, tell a little bit about your background growing up. Um, so, <clears throat> I'm originally from Nigeria, um, and I moved to the United States when I was three months old. And uh, I was here for about five years before I had to move back home. Um, and then after that, I moved to the UK for another five years. And then after that, I moved to the United States again for college. And so I've kind of had a very, like, um, I guess like well-rounded like childhood i got to meet a lot of people be exposed to a lot of professions um and a lot of opportunities which i'm super grateful for um and yeah i like the way you talk about you know your your experience getting up and moving every few months or every few years is sort of a positive thing and being able to experience a lot of stuff that's cool um i I would have seen it from the other side like oh i was never able to establish a home um, or home base, I guess. Uh, my name is Kali, like I said. A little bit about my background. I came to the United States when I was two. Um, a child of a uh, Somali uh, refugee um, parents. And uh, when we got here, we grew up in LA for our first couple of years. Um, and living in, in those neighborhoods back then, we were living in poverty, first, uh, first time Americans, right? Um, and so we weren't living in the best neighborhoods. My father, he didn't like where we were growing up. I mean, it was very expensive too. We we're all, uh, I come from a family of, at the time we were eight, um, and then we just had, yeah, we had eight, so we were living in a two-bedroom apartment, and so my family moved to Oregon, it was a little more affordable, um, and my father liked that, it was a little more, uh, a little, he felt a little safer, uh, us being in Oregon than uh, we did in LA, and then also economically, we were a little more safe. Um, living in Oregon, my parents had three more kids, so now we're 11, um, and I grew up in a big family, um, I think that's given me a root. Uh, in terms of being a role model and seeing the world from different perspectives and being more patient and things like that. So that's a little bit about my background. Um, and now I'm in Texas and I'm loving it. <laughs> um, this is Corinne, just so y'all know who I am. Um, so, <laughs> no, you're not, not, no, right? It could be Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, I grew up my mom and my dad, right? Right. So, but they're also like, hey, if you want to be a basket weaver, you can be a basket weaver. Just you know, make sure you can support yourself basket weaving. Right. So did you end up playing track or running track? I guess. No, not 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 here. No. (laughs) Yeah. So for me. Education, I would say, was an expectation. I don't think at any point anyone in my family ex- expected or even considered um, me not going to college. Mm-hmm. And that comes from, I would say, really my mom's side of the family more. My dad was the first in his family to go to college, I believe. At least, he had at least seven siblings, and they lived in, uh, I believe, the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he went to the University of Wisconsin. My mom went to the University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. All my siblings went to school who were, like I've said, so much older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no, it was purely an expectation. There was no um, thought of the privilege associated with it. Mm-hmm. The thing that was um, not an expectation, I guess, within my family is, like you talked about in terms of getting money, Um, within my family, I believe, at least as far as I know, all my siblings had full rides and I came into the university of Texas with nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a really, really big shock for my family. And that was like, I understood the privilege that it is to have your parents be there for you Mm -hmm. and support you going into college with no financial aid versus my siblings Mm -hmm. who had worked their butts off in high school, I wouldn't say I was as great of a high school student as they were, or a great, as great of an athlete um, as they were. And so for me coming in, that was where I saw the privilege mm-hmm. um, and getting expectation as a privilege. But before that, I really took it for granted mm-hmm. and it was just an expectation. Yeah, I'll say the same for me. I mean, I think it's the same for everybody at the table, but education was always an expectation. Uh, coming over here with uh, refugee parents, you know, they gave up their whole lives so that you can, uh, one, give yourself a good life, but two, give them a good life later in life. So um, a lot rides on that, but they they both believe in education as the path to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they both believe that without education, then you're just, you're not somebody. That, that was something that was always believed in my family. So they pushed hard, you know, from the time I was in elementary school, it was like you had to get all A's and um, they were on top of me. Even if they couldn't understand what I was working on, um, they tried their hardest to make sure that I was doing the best that I could, whether that was showing up for parent-teacher conferences or, you know, I don't think they could ever afford tutors, but I had so many siblings and older siblings who could help me with my homework. But making sure that collectively we were all doing well in school is one of their primary focuses as parents. And so, um, yeah, I, I would say education was a, a expectation. And then, yeah, college was, I mean, for them, they, they don't really understand what financial aid or loans or paying for college really was. Mm-hmm. But for them, was you're going to college. And it didn't matter what it cost or what it entailed. It was you're going to college. And, um, but for my parents, the scariest thing was having a kid leave for college, right? And so I did my undergrad in Portland um, just so that they don't feel nervous. But by the time I was done and wanted to go to grad school, I was like, okay, I think it's time for me to spread my wings a little bit. Um, but their expectation was always that, you know, education was number one priority in our lives. So. Yes, sir. I remember growing up, uh, one of the biggest things that my parents used, my dad especially used to tell me to, to hurt my feelings when I do something bad was use your brain or where's your common sense? You don't have no common sense. And he used to hurt me a lot. 
I didn't know what he mean until one day uh, when I was coming to the U.S. A day after 10, the last day, we, he sat me down to, t to talk to me about like his final advice about what I do here when I come here. He told me, when you study, when you study hard enough, that's the only thing that no one can take away from you. And that's how I left Guinea. And I feel like everything, it's not, it's not just education. When you use your brain, when you study people, when you learn how to deal with people, that's something you can always use, right? And nothing, no, nobody can take away anything from that. But when when you guys got to UT, what was the biggest shock? Like, how hard was it to adapt once <clears throat> you got here? Um, so for me, it was more so, um, it was less so the academics. Um, it was more so the people. So, um, Again, like I was super fortunate enough to like go to a pretty like rigorous high school. So it prepared me to like be able to study well and just like know what I was doing. So like school was not hard. It was really just navigating people and understanding this. New, I wouldn't say new culture because like, again, I had lived here before it was where I, when I was so young. Mm -hmm. So it was like coming to this like, you know, people who are so like confident, so outspoken and very opinionated. And I am that way as well. But I've never been, met my match, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. so so it was very interesting to work with people who are a lot similar to me, but even though I know myself, it's something to like, you know, try to get to know other people as well, right? Um, so it was really navigating the people, navigating the spaces, and then also being super in control of your own life. Um, when I was in high school, everything was kind of like set up for you, the classes you were going to take, the times you were going to go there when you were going to graduate, things like that. And then you come to college and it's just like, oh, you set your own timetable. You choose your classes. No one's saving anything for you. If you don't graduate in four years, that is your own fault. Like, so it's a lot of like taking control of my own life and deciding, okay, like, you know, I want to do this at this time and uh, things of that nature. So really just growing up and like figuring out what I wanted to do was the biggest hurdle, I guess. Oh, and there was so many options. And that's kind of like very overwhelming for me because um, I am very indecisive. So coming to a place where I could change my major anytime, I could um, you know, jump from one school to another or do any class I wanted to, I can lose track of like what I'm trying to do. I'm like, yeah, I'm an economics major, but I totally love history classes. And then at the end realize I only took history classes. So, um, it was that that was also like a lot to deal with like the the plethora of options that i had i'd say the biggest shock for me um coming to ut was seeing the diversity and then hearing that like people don't think it's that diverse <laughs> um, so I, uh, I went to my undergrad was university of portland which is a small private catholic school in portland um, and it was like one percent black and i think like six of those people were on the basketball team right um, we didn't have a football team in such a small school, but like diversity just wasn't a thing there. Um, and that that was shocking to me. It was because like people, it just never felt like I fit in. And then I got to UT and I was like, okay, I kind of fit in. There's a Nesby here. There's a, um, I think the African American Male Initiative um, and just all these things that I could be a part of and make me feel a little more comfortable that I didn't have uh, in my undergrad um, getting through. Um, and so I think my shock here was just the diversity, but... 
I would let you guys say otherwise. But uh, going to college, though, I mean, I think that was the biggest thing is going from high school where it was like 25, 30, 40 percent African-American, 30 percent Asian. And like where white people were the minority in my high school and then going to college. And it's like it's the complete opposite. That was the biggest shock for me in terms of feeling comfortable. I don't feel like I really uh, made any lifelong friends like most people do in college. Um, Like I left undergrad like. I don't really, I mean, I'm planning my wedding right now and there's no one from my undergrad that I'm inviting. <laughs> Aside from that, like the small group of Black Student Union kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that was my experience and biggest shock coming to college. I kind of feel the same about diversity. Like, you know, driving 20 minutes to the white neighborhood so that way I can go to school, you know? And then the white neighborhood, like the white schools I went to, right? There weren't that many Asians, there weren't that many Hispanics, right? And then all the people that were black, most of us played sports, right? And so then coming here and I'm like, wow, we're like even though we're only 4%, we're 4% of 50,000, like yeah, that's right. crazy. <laughs> I mean, obviously being a Nesby, I know that's still not a lot, right? And that we should obviously strive to be like 12%, right? If we're 12% of the population, we should be 12% of the school in every major, you know? Right. But, you know, it's still very nice to have such a big community around me. And then also, I think, like, working in groups, at least for me, because that's been difficult as far as adjusting to that. Because in high school, you know, I'm, like, one of the few, like, black students, like, probably the only black student in, like, all the honors and AP classes, right? And I just remember, like, texting people, like, if I missed class one day, the teacher wouldn't give me notes. And I text, like, everyone in the class, and no one would send me notes. No one wants to work with me. And, like, just getting over the fact that, oh, hey, you're not in high school anymore. People actually want to work with you. Like, people aren't afraid that you're going to come in and take their spot or whatever. So, right, right. Mm-hmm. so I think that's where some of the biggest hurdles for me, at least. That's a good point about group work, especially in engineering. There's so much group work. Yeah. And, um, that was another thing. I just never felt like I was smart enough or comfortable working in groups with, you know, three other white kids who were, you know... They've taken AP calculus in high school, and I was like, oh, I'm taking calculus right now simultaneously with my engineering courses. So group work was a big thing that was just, like, hard to get comfortable with. You mean an undergrad? Yeah, an undergrad. Yeah. And then sometimes I feel like I still have to prove myself to be a part of the group. Like, yeah. I have to be like, hey, this is what I have. This is what I know. Right. Like, I'm, I'm worthy of being in the group. And it's like I shouldn't, like, it's like they don't have to prove anything to me, but why do I have to go through, jump through hoops to prove that I'm worthy to oh, be yeah. in the group? That's definitively something I've experienced as well in terms of, like, and this is my thing that was a shock, and um, I'll get to that in a second, but in terms of, like, I work fairly hard academically, and, like, I've been fairly successful academically at UT, Um, but still, when I join a group, when I come into a group, it's always basically the bare minimum expectation of me to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so if we're studying for an exam, I'm not typically at the beginning of our study session the person anyone's going to ask for help um, or anyone's going to ask to answer a question. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really, really frustrating to see and just know that, like, even though you are here, even though I am at this university, even though I'm in these classes, um, I will never get the benefit of the doubt. And I, I don't want to say never, but in my experience, I don't, I believe I'm yet to have the benefit of the doubt to where someone will ask me prior to working with me, right. prior to going through that experience. It's like when you're in groups, at least from my experience, I won't speak for everyone, but it's always the bare minimum expectation of me. I like I'm there as a someone who's solely taking and gaining information right. from that group when in reality... I would imagine I'm, if not the 
most uh, the figure who contributes most to the actual like learning or studying or whatever it may be I'm one of the top two or three mm-hmm. um, and so to continue touching on that yeah that's just something really frustrating you have to deal with um, it seems from my perspective being a black student um, but what I struggled with in college was actually having intent and basically trying mm-hmm. um, in high school I'm, I've been fairly naturally smart to where I didn't really need to study for anything um, in order to get my 89, which was my high school grade. I took all AP classes, so it's like you get an 89, you get 10 plus points because it's an AP class. Mm. So I have a 99. Like, uh, didn't have to try to do that. Um, I just focused on sports in high school, hanging out with my friends, the people I'd grown with for 13 years being in that same hometown. And then I come to college and it's like, like I said earlier, I didn't have scholarships coming in. And so it was a situation where my parents expected me to actually work my ass off mm-hmm. and to get the best grade I can get instead of the most comfortable grade I can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and to actively apply for scholarships and to actively put myself out here and do all these things that would build myself and help facilitate them trying to support me. Mm-hmm. They basically expected me to do my absolute best to make sure that they needed to support me as little as possible. Mm-hmm. And so coming from a place of what I'll call comfort, because I had siblings who'd gone through the South Lake High School system before, um, I knew all my friends, I played sports with them. I was comfortable, I was relaxed, I did me. Um, and then coming to UT, the shock for me was, I have to grind. And so I can't just text whoever to have them send me the homework five minutes before class. I need to actually do that homework myself or figure out how the heck to do it. Study for that exam myself. I can't like sit next to my boy and like try to figure out what's going on um, on the day of the exam or maybe in the exam. Like having intent in everything I do, being organized, those are the big shocks for me in college. Um, wow. That's, that's crazy. So me, I grew up in Guinea. I went to I went to all my middle school, elementary school in Guinea with, of course, all black students, uh, African students. Then I came to the U.S. I went to Beaumont, Texas, a, a school called Ozen, which is 98% black students at public schools. So when I came here, even though I, I really, I think myself as a man of full confidence, like I can't jump in anywhere. And I also had a lot of experience adaptation I felt that intimidation. I felt that imposter syndrome in the classroom, right? Sometime in the class, my, my first, I think the first time I was with another black student in my chemical engineering class was my junior year when Carl, Caristis came, one of my friends. But for some reason, I felt like I needed to work hard for all the black students mm-hmm. while I'm yeah. yeah. here. How did you guys deal with that? those struggle like do you guys have any experience example you have can i ask a quick question do you guys think this is an engineering thing because i was cns Mm -hmm. before i went to liberal arts and like i'm kind of like dual because i'm Mm pre-med and i I promise you to god i have not felt this way what's cns college of natural sciences i haven't felt like i've ever had to work to like like to represent anyone or anything i've never felt like out of not out of place but like i've never felt like 
you know, I like going into groups and like having mm-hmm. to prove something. You know what I mean? Like I just yeah. go there and just like do what I I want to do mm-hmm. and what I think needs to be done. And I kind of guess like I think I I I kind of come to realize actually in my experience of being in the United States as an adult. Mm-hmm. that I can be oblivious to things and that like I don't want to see it because I don't want to believe that people are coming out and being that way right mm-hmm. and it just makes me feel better not to believe that people are purposely being like this and it makes me work better honestly you know what I mean yeah. and so I like sometimes I tend to ask like some of my black friends like you know clearly I do not understand like your struggle just because like I didn't grow up with it however would you feel like, does it help you feel better to go outside thinking that, you know, people are out to get you? You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes I feel like sometimes, I'm like, though I'm in this group, I'm, like, already intimidated because, like, I was assigned group that I don't know these people, right? And then sometimes I'm, like, okay, they're going to think this, this, and that, right? And then sometimes they don't, right? And I'm, right. like, thankfully relieved. And other times, you know, that's my reality is, like, that's yeah. just it, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think I just go in with that expectation just because yeah. it's not nine times out of ten, but let's say 50% of the time or 60% of the time that's what happens, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, at least I'll be, like, happily relieved if mm-hmm. I don't go in with it. I mean, So you're, like, preparing your mind. Well, yeah, and I'm so also it's thinking like about... Your, your mind automatically takes that yeah. way. Yeah. Fair enough. I think it's called double conscious, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's the scientific term for it, where you're, you always have this, this um, double conscious of, like, the example that they use in the theory is when you go into a store right, and someone starts following you around. Mm-hmm. They could be trying to help you, but your double conscious tells you that, okay, they're following me around because I'm black and they think I'm going to mm-hmm. steal something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one theory. But I, I do think it is an engineering thing somewhat because in engineering, there is a s- way smaller population of us okay. um, oh, in yeah. engineering. And that's a problem that a lot of uh, the organizations such as Nesby is trying to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the we have a equal opportunity in engineering program, which is dedicated to getting more minority students in engineering. Um, they've got grants left and right and money left and right that they're throwing at trying to get, um, I think they call us um, underrepresented minorities mm-hmm. in engineering. Um, that they're throwing money at to try to get us. So it, it might be partly an engineering thing. Mm-hmm. But I do know that I have sisters in um, school who are studying public health mm-hmm. who also experience a lot of that isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, siblings in business um, who went to college for business, and they also feel a lot of that isolation. And so I wouldn't say it's solely engineering, but maybe um, in this group you do have four engineers. And so yeah. <laughs> also, too, I take a lot of chemistry classes, and I feel that way in my chemistry classes, my chemistry labs as well. Mm. I'm not going to – chemistry majors are no different from engineering. Right, Some, right. Sometimes they're, like, a little bit more so mm-hmm. – not more so, but, like, you know, I'll be in class, and they'll just be, like, talking about how much they know stuff and not really letting me in, even though I'm trying to show them that I can be, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to trash all UT chemistry majors. Mm-hmm. Not, some of them are really great. I have dinner with a lot of them, at least the friend group that I was at least able to find within chemistry. We go out to dinner like every semester, but like still I'm even more ostracized in those spaces because there are even fewer like, you know, black chemistry majors. Like like, I'm the only one in that class of like Mm -hmm. 200. I mean, that's the same for chemical engineering, right? Right, right. But also I don't know any the other ones, right? Because at least if I know the other chemical engineers, I can be like, oh, hey, you took this class, right? I'm Mm -hmm. not a chemistry major. Mm -hmm. I'd be just like, well, I guess there are no black chemistry majors, (laughs) you know? Actually, interesting. I I just always wonder because I just feel like it's a it's a lot to carry on your chest, right? To walk yeah. around every day and like have that feeling, and I just feel like I just like 
honestly just like feel bad that's but, really but you're right it's, i think it's definitely based on experience because me when i came here i didn't know anything about um racism right because mm-hmm. i came from guinea where everybody was black i didn't really realize it until one time our football bus got stopped because our running back during the game hit one of the players that we were playing and they wanted to take him to jail because he hit him so hard after the game that's when i know like oh dang like then i talked to my uncle he told me yeah this happened in Beaumont, texas right so i feel like based on experience when you get one experience two experience then you start just automatically thinking that way mm-hmm. before you even get in the situation okay oh sorry back to your question yeah so i think there's a num. so another thing that i'm also was wondering i talked to a lot of people that i interviewed already so there's a number of students out there who do extremely well uh, students who are black students in inner cities they do extremely well in school high schools and those students their parents believe that always tell them you are the one right i didn't go to college but you're gonna go to college you're gonna be great so they do good and they come to university like ut it's a pwi but they find that they are not the only smart person but another thing also they find that there are so many people who do not look like them, right? What advice do you have for those students to to believe to, to push them to motivate them to believe that this is their place, they deserve to be here and they can be wherever they want? I think one of the one of the simplest things is is UT admissions is not easy, right? Yeah. Um, college admissions is not easy. They don't just let anybody in. Even when they look at increasing diversity numbers, they the constant conversation is that we don't want just any minority in our school. We want the top of the top, right? Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they're in college in the first place, I think should be an encouraging piece um, to them personally. That is an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you got in. A lot of people don't get in, whether they're white, black, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. A lot they're of people don't better. get into college. And so um, having that privilege that you're here, I think the, that should give you a boost of confidence. And my advice to them would just be that not every path looks the same. Um, and when you get to college, the hardest thing to find out is what are you passionate about and what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And I think that should be your primary focus, even in being surrounded by those who are don't, don't look like you mm-hmm. and feeling like you don't belong. But then at the same time, find those groups that make you do feel like you belong, right? And find those people who, when you're around them, you feel encouraged. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing for me. It was like when I was an undergrad and I found the Black Student Union, I was like, okay, this is, you know, five to ten kids who look like me and who have a goal and we can help each other through it um and so yeah that would be my advice to them is one like believe in yourself and have confidence because you made it this far and looking back and stopping now is not the right time to do it and then the other piece is just find those people around you who will also encourage you and want to grow with you you really killed it yeah i say i say from any perspective from any student remember your goals remember why you're here like the reason I'm going to college is so that I can better myself, um, secure a job, have a career, raise family. Like those are those are my intentions. I want to have time for my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now, it's like that's why I'm here. So regardless of if I feel alone, if I'm struggling, like I just try to remember my goals, and then that helps motivate me and push me and encourage me. Mm-hmm. Um, Additionally, like you said, use your resources. Um, find those people who align with you. Um, 
who you connect with, who you, or who show you respect if people aren't showing you respect. Um, just find where you feel you belong. Mm -hmm. And even if that's not on your campus, it can be anywhere. Find something that helps you feel comfortable and so you're mentally, um, you have quality mentally health, mm -hmm. mental health. Um, but yeah, focus on your goals because we all, we all come to college for a reason. Right. And it's really, really easy within all the stuff going on here um, to forget that reason or to let that slip in terms of priority. Um, but if you just focus on that and allow that to push you and motivate you, whether it be for your parents, um, to help benefit yourself and your own career, or you're just passionate about whatever field you're in, like those things should push you and those things should help you finish through because there's little value in just for the most part. Some people drop out and are successful, but there's little value in coming to a university, spending your money, spending your time, and not finishing through or not giving it your all. Yes, um, so within these years, like just focus on your goals, focus on your goals, focus on your goals. And I do want to touch on what Tyson said a little bit about finishing through. Sometimes what you start in isn't what you finish in, yeah. right? And so... Like Tyson said, finishing is, is, is the important piece there. And so if you find that you're not happy in a direction that you're going, find those resources that help you pivot and find that direction that you do want to go and, and get to that finish line. And I think that's the most important thing. Uh, we went to that networking event the other night and we saw several people who were like, yeah, I graduated with this degree, but now I'm doing this, right? Mm -hmm. And so that process of just like being able to commit to something and finish and, and discipline yourself is so important for every, every everything else that you do in life, right? Yeah. Giving up too easily is, is, is not an, an option, I think, for you, unless you have you know, a $10 million father trust or, fund. Or, or trust fund or something, <laughs> you know, whatever, like, that you can just sort of fall back in. For most, for most kids, it's, it's finishing and, and being disciplined and committing to something and finding your path, whether that changes five times, two times, or doesn't change at all. Um, I think that's important. Yeah, as we talked about earlier, we we say we we are a very minority. Uh, young black female and male are very minority uh, in uh, engineering, medicine, STEM field, right? Entrepreneurship also, and I think one of the reasons is the belief that it's like we do not have most many people grow up without having a role model who are in this field, right? What's, what are some, why do you think uh, we, most, many black men and female avoid STEM? And how do we motivate students to really believe that STEM is something, is an option for them? I'll go. So, like, for example, like, this is teachers, like, starting this, like, educational level, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I was told I shouldn't take certain AP classes. I was told I should drop from certain AP classes, like, in my high school. And granted, some of them I wasn't doing well in, but the ones that I was, like, I was, like, just told before I even got in, like, you shouldn't take these two classes, even though my peers with the same grades were taking the same classes as me. I was making the same grades as them, and they took those same classes, but they weren't told you shouldn't take those two classes because it will be too hard. I was told that, right? right? And I think just starting, but, you know, I told myself I can do it, and I was getting through, but, like, just if your teachers are right today are telling you you shouldn't do this, right, and you're, like, just look up to your teachers and believe them, right? But then it's also like, you know, what's best for you? So starting from that, this educational level, that's 
right they're bringing down the stem right and then if your parents aren't in stem right it's hard for you to see yourself doing that right it's easy to see yourself do what your parents do and also not all everyone knows how to you know raise it's just like you know a community knows how to raise you know an athlete per se you always have an uncle that's like oh i played football i did this right everyone's coming out of the woodwork saying what they did but not everyone you know it's like oh i was an engineer i was a doctor i was a this i was a that right and I think, you know, going back into the community more, at least as alumni or as those professionals and being those role models would probably help that. But I think that's some, some of the reasons why, right? I'm lucky that, you know, my dad was an engineer. My mom's like, it has an MBA and is in finance, right? That could aspire to be those things. But if they weren't, I don't know if I'd be an engineer, right? I liked all of my subjects as like a little young kid, right? I liked English, I liked math. You know, as I got older, I stopped liking English as much because my grammar's not that great. <laughs> but... You know, I'm not sure. Maybe I would have been a chemistry major, right? I loved chemistry. I wasn't good at it, but I loved it. But I don't think I would have been an engineer. Because mm-hmm. I would have probably never heard of it without my dad or my mom or anything. Yeah. I don't think it's an avoidance. I think it's, like, <clears throat> what she said in that, like, you know, at the, like, very beginning, you are, like, the students or the kids are not engaged, like, in that subject, like, we already know that like STEM subjects are like the statistics show that like they're not well represented or not very well like taken in like assimilated by the kids so like it's up to the professionals who are teaching these kids to make it more engaging to them to make it more exciting to them I was in Dr. Moore's class last week and he was talking about how he went into one of the um one of the like um kind of like black black communities um where um the kids were not doing very well in school like generally and he went to ask for like their like worst students so that he could take them on a camp trip and he said that um they were doing they were flunking math but then he asked them a question about like i don't know like the like the circumference of a rim of a car and like if you can put in this certain car and then they were like oh yeah you can't do that because if you do that like the rim is not that large enough and then they started using all these numbers and he was like okay well why are those kids bad at math but they're but if you start using environments that they're like used to like i.e like okay like they know a lot about cars so you engage them with cars and use math and cars like put it together right or with engineering and engines and stuff like that like using that and using cars but you have to like engage with students so i think that at a very like fundamental um level of like you know when they're like still very young we're like disengaging them already and so as they grow up it's like what is the easiest thing to do less so what is like i guess the most interesting thing to do or what do i care about the most right because like you said like i absolutely love chemistry as well but like as i came into college it was like okay well this is getting a bit too hard Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and then like I'm lucky that I had a very good professor who, like, just cared about her students and wanted people to do well. And that's kind of what motivates you. But if your teacher doesn't care enough, like, about the subject or about you as a student and doesn't want to engage you, then you're going to be lost, right? So I think it, like, comes in at the fundamental, like, kind of, like, when I start school, like, how how do they introduce every subject to me, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the statistics also show that, you know, when kids are exposed to math at an early age, then they are less to like resent it. But I think as you go up through, at least this is what I used to hear when I was in school, as you go up from like elementary to middle to high school, is that like the further grades you go up, the more more students who start to resent math and who resent science and start to enjoy other subjects, right? Because it's too hard. But um, a lot of studies show that it's not technically that it's too hard it's just that you weren't exposed to it exposed to it at an early enough age Mm -hmm. to where you could build up those skills to be better at it as it go on but I remember I had a I think it was 
sophomore year pre-calculus teacher and I, I was doing terrible in pre-calculus because I didn't understand it very well and the, I, the t- I was telling the teacher about my career aspirations of wanting to become an engineer and he goes oh you'll never be an engineer you're, yeah. you're, you're just terrible at math and I was like oh okay thank you um, <laughs> what you do now? Oh, I'm an engineer. <laughs> but, PhD student. Yeah, but I, I think for every bad teacher I've ever had, I've had 10 good ones um, mm-hmm. who've encouraged me and, and have always been by my side. But um, I, I think that's one of the main things is, is exposing kids to a lot of STEM education early on. And I think that a lot of that is happening now mm-hmm. as sort of like a reactive thing to realizing that a lot of kids not even are going into these fields and so um, there's a lot of reactive stuff going on right now with STEM education but it's becoming a more popular topic um, and I think it'll continue that way but I think that's the big thing as Corinne mentioned is like for us to go in and, and serve as role models. Um, I was really inspired by that networking event the other night where I saw people from all careers who were all you know who look like me who probably have similar experiences as me mm-hmm. go up there and talk about what they've been through and how they got where they are I'm looking at that even as where I'm at, I am right now. I was like, well, that's kind of cool, you know. Um, and I wish I could see a lot of this more. Um, and I wish I saw it when I was an undergrad. I didn't see any of that when I was an undergrad. Every event that I went to that was a person speaking or sharing their experience was not anyone who looked like me or shared my experiences. So, um, like Curran said, just going in and, and giving back to our communities and showing that you can be an, an, an engineer or a doctor or a scientist or even an English major who graduated and finished their education mm-hmm. and still be happy with what they're doing and, and provide a path for young kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have anything to add. Mm-hmm. I kind of forgot. But I, it is, right? I believe <laughs> I have like a question for you. Tough. So l- last question, by the way. Uh, so when we were talking, I was talking to you, you about how many black students uh, uh, the, the, the stigma that many black students who grow up in single parent homes uh, who really work hard to help their family get to where they are. But I was wrong with that statement and you pointed that out. Uh, the fact that I made that mistake, there are so many people who have that in their head, right? When they think about black people, they think about black students on the uh, single parent homes, right? Who have all these battles they have to combat like at a young age before they really face life. So how do we break that stigma? Uh, how do we let people know that it's not all the black, there are a lot of black students out there who work so hard and there are a lot of black parents out there who do everything for their kids to get to where they are. I don't know if we can answer that question. I feel like that's a uh, like, uh, family structure in America type question. I don't know if, if we in this room have the answer to that question, right? Because that's, that's a loaded question, and I think it's more directed at, like, what is the family structure in America for people of our races? Um, so I think that might just be above us at this point, but I don't know if you have anyone I mean, else that. I have comments. I mean, like, at least for me, a lot of my friends freshman year are like, oh, you're the first black person I've ever met, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? Uh, and I mean, that's just, like, I'm, like, the set for them, right? A lot of people, like, the, or like you know, a lot of people that see everything on the news, right? And that's all they're exposed to if they've never met or, like, actually met, like, befriended a black person before. Right. And also, but also, it's tiring, right? You have to, like, go through and teach everyone everything every time. That's a lot. That's a, I don't, I mean, that's not my response. I mean, it is my responsibility, per se, but it's not me as an individual's responsibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, like, 
you know, being tired, like, oh, every, like, non-black person I see, I have to teach you, like, my culture. I mean, they could be proactive. If people really wanted to learn and really wanted to be, think otherwise, I feel like they could learn. But also, I mean, it's, I don't know. I have mixed feelings, right? Yes, I should, like, in some ways be, like, breaking stereotypes or whatever, but also it gets tiring as an individual mm-hmm. trying to go through, and, like, at least other high school, right? Because high school, I was the only person in AP classes, right? The only person on honor roll. And I was like, man, I have to do this. I have to show everyone that like black people can do it and it's like that's not my responsibility they should know better (laughs) they should know better i think i i um i agree with you that's such a loaded question but and i think that like how do you break the stereotype or how do you make people like like change their views i guess i don't think it's like our responsibility or like anyone's responsibility to do that it's up to them to like broaden their horizons and want to see a different side and not be so close-minded to this idea Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um because you know like we all know like media like portrays even like with rap and all these kind of things they they glamorize the struggle Mm -hmm. right and they glamorize this idea of like single parent households or um you know growing up in rough neighborhoods and things like that and so like i understand that like that's what people see but then again it's up to them to like want to see beyond that and one again it's all this this whole idea of maybe i'm just like again oblivious to everything but it's this idea of like wanting to see beyond and wanting to believe that people are not the way that like everyone presents them to be because one person's mistake or one person's um actions it does not define everyone else's mm-hmm. right so that's kind of like what i think people should go out doing instead of like going out with stereotypes like going out and meet each individual as an individual and not what they represent by mm-hmm. what they look like mm-hmm. does that make sense so, yeah. i know you said that was the last question i do have one final um uh, question mm-hmm. um and this is just a, a light-hearted one interesting one yeah. did did you in college bring friends home like to my house your college friends to your house yeah. i brought what like my house here to your parents oh like have you oh. had college friends Two. come over meet your parents meet your family <laughs> hang out with you at your house yes yeah. um somewhat my doing somewhat off of coincidence going to the <laughs> big 12 so again i live in dallas fort worth area oh, yeah went to the big 12 championship game last year in dallas so we stayed at my house oh, okay um so that was a cool experience and i've wanted to take um my sophomore year roommate i wanted to have him come home um or come to dallas he's a kid from houston um for like thanksgiving or a holiday or something like that um but not like actively like i'm just like begging people to do it it's not logistically that great of a trip to have to travel four hours each way um i see more people you said yeah she said um and but still another thing it's like it's it's like half coincidence like half my doing because like i know my family is very inviting and welcoming and so they're happy to host people um and then in that case we were driving north from Houston to Oklahoma, oh, and Dallas is right on the way. Um, so a little bit of both, but I think kind of has to be, it has to be both. If it's not convenient or like if it doesn't make sense, then it's a lot less likely to happen. Only eyes because I, I do hear a lot of like people who 
who meet friends in college and they're like, oh my God, spending spring break at so-and-so's house. You're like, oh my God, spending a few weeks or Thanksgiving um, with them as a friend. And I was thinking back, like I was in Portland, living in Portland. I've never had a college friend come to my house and meet my family. So I was like, mm-hmm. is that something that's common? I just wanted to hear everyone's opinion. So I guess um, convenience is a thing, but... I visited my friends um, at their homes just because, like, I'm an international student, so, like, my family's not here. So, like, they'll invite me over to their house for Thanksgiving, so I'm not, like, by myself. Or, like, um, spring break, I tend to, like, go visit my other friends in, like, other states that moved to the United States from the same school that I went to. But um, apart from that, like, I have visited friends, but, like, no one's, like, come back to Nigeria to, like, see my family. So, yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Just curious. Do you have any more comments? And something that you would like the audience to know about. No, just keep doing you, and um, you know, follow your passions. And it's fine if you don't know it right now. It's funny because my brother is like going through this stage. He's seventeen, where he doesn't know what he wants to do, and he feels like he has no passion, so he doesn't know what he wants to apply to college for. Um, so he decided to like redo eleventh grade just to like waste time as far as i'm concerned but it's fine (laughs) it's fine because you know i realize that like everyone is not like me and like doesn't know what they want and that's fine um and luckily like my parents are being super supportive of that too so i think like just take your time and realize what you want because you don't want to i mean mistakes do help you like realize things a lot but you want to like minimize that as much as possible so yeah yeah i would say for people who struggle in terms of defining a clear passion um or saying like for example i can't tell you what i want to do um at like a low level Mm -hmm. but i can back it up and abstract that into like what my goals are when i think about my ideal life Mm -hmm. um and then just try to make my passion oriented towards pursuing those Mm -hmm. things so like i said earlier like i want to have kids Um, and I want to have time to raise those kids. And so given that I have that goal, I don't have to be as rigid as like, I want to be an engineer. I want to do this. I want to do that, but I know what I'm pursuing. And so the things that I'm, or the things that I'm giving myself to, like I work hard in, I try my best and I try to basically put myself in the best position to accomplish that goal at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, my advice is just for people who struggle in terms of defining a passion, especially if you're a student who, like me, I thought I was going to play sports, sports, sports. I loved sports, loved athletics. That was what I did. It was so much fun. Um, and then it's like, oh, I have to go to college and not play sports and get an education and try to have a job and likely sit in an office. Um, and so for someone who like has that type of shift in terms of like your ideology and what you think your trajectory is, just focus on like the elementary goals that you have and then go from there. Mm-hmm. After you have your elementary goals set, maybe you realize what specific, a little bit more specifically you'd like to do. So then you get to your middle school goals. <laughs> um, and then just go from there. Focus on that elementary base set of goals or what I like to say is like, if my life went perfect from today forward, in an ideal sense, what would happen, and try to pursue those things. Mm-hmm. I like that. Came out and became an intramural champion. You didn't have to give up sports completely. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it doesn't feel anywhere close. Um, just advice, though. Intramural sports are cool, though. 
champions and I am basketball champion yeah. at Team Nesby. Sorry, I haven't been in a minute. You need to play, you need to play. Yeah, you need to play. Uh, I'm old head on the team. As you can tell me. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mamba Inspire You Can Do It Too podcast. We have another special guest next episode. Make sure you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date. Our YouTube channel, we have a Twitter and Instagram for updates. Look up Mamba Inspire. Peace. <laughs>